I've got several sermons within the sermon. Hope your memory banks are working well. Um, but, you know, one thing that came to me this morning just felt like the Holy Spirit was saying um, is that he, and I, I, got the, I got this picture, this kind of this picture of sensitivity, uh, uh, this, the, the little, a little picture that we uh, go through at home a little bit once in a while, um, when maybe sometimes... Um, I actually have written a couple songs about this. Then I sing these songs for Joel, and she's like, oh, honey. Right? And I can really get some really cool emotional responses out of this. So one of the songs, you're going to love it, is called Your Words Cut Me Like a Knife. You like that one? What do you think of that one? So uh, uh, pray that we never have a country western concert here with me at the, at the, at the helm. Uh, but if we do, hey, come on up. You might hear your words cut me like a knife. So, uh, you know, and it goes on to say uh, something like, um, um, let's see if I can remember the words. Your words cut me like, like a knife. You don't realize how much I need your faith in me. That kind of weird. So I know us guys are supposed to be like super cool, and I pretend that I am all the time. Extremely macho, above and beyond any need for affection whatsoever. Guys, you with me? Putting some of you to sleep already is pretty cool. Sorry you had to come out on Memorial Day weekend. (laughs) Okay, but nonetheless, uh, you know, I... There's something going on, you know, there's something, it's like, it's like her affection for me, her faith in me, yeah? So I was getting this little download that, uh, just, just even as we set the tone for the message this morning, I was getting this little download that our disaffection toward the Lord is, um, uh, I don't know that he's got a lower lip, but if he does, it, it might kind of... There might be a little pouting action that goes on. No. Ephesians 5 says, and there's an appeal there in Ephesians 5, grieve not the Holy Spirit, um, which we find throughout Scripture that emotional attributes are given to the Lord and to the Holy Spirit. Yes? And so I was just, I was just kind of provoked in my heart this morning that that and just to flip it toward the positive that your being here today is amazing uh your your giving of him attention is amazing uh your your thanks and 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 adoration is amazing and just even uh we're doing a bathroom remodel so I took the week off uh and I, I was really blessed by something we had a plumber over to do all the rough end plumbing up in the bathroom and he comes up with his helper, and the first thing he does is he turns on worship. And he's up there plumbing with worship music on. And I'm like, man, that's cool. That is, that's, that's like a real Christian right there. That they even set the stage for their plumbing with wanting the presence, the ministry of Jesus in the room. But there's something about us giving him affection. There's something about having our heart set on him that is so powerful. And I think sometimes we don't realize how much he feeds off of that and draws near to us, right? The word, say, the word says, James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And I know we have this picture sometimes of just, you know, God pursuing us and no matter what, he's just going to pursue us and we can be just a, a real problem and he'll still pursue us. And, but there's this picture, there's this picture, this romantic picture that I believe is so uh, appropriate that when we draw near to him, when we, when we turn our affection on him, 
then he draws near to us. Amen? So, Holy Spirit, we just, even for the next few moments, we just arouse ourselves toward you. We set our gaze upon you. We ask that you will unfold the word to us today. We open our hearts, Lord. We just, we come as an act of our will and just say yes to you. Yes to more of you. Yes to understanding you. Yes to the fullness of who you've made us to be in Jesus. Father, we ask the spirit of wisdom and revelation rest on this place and on our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. So I want to talk to you a little bit this morning about uh, rekindling wells of revival, redigging wells of revival, reawakening revival within our own hearts. And, and I was drawn a bit to this season because the season that we're in right now uh, is the season of Shabbat, it's the season of Pentecost. And uh, so, so if we were looking at the Jewish calendar, of which I wish we did, but, but we're not as familiar with that as we are the Gregorian calendar, but if we were looking at the Jewish calendar, we would see that we are, we're in this particular season, and, and it's, there's something powerful about us recognizing the season, leaning into the season, and it's somewhat, it's somewhat like um, the idea of reoccurring, uh, reoccurring, uh, be it with us that we're familiar with, birthdays, Christmas, uh, Easter, anniversaries, what they do is they rekindle a remembrance to what, what the initiation was, and then they also draw our hearts not only to remember, but they draw our hearts to rekindle. They draw our hearts to be aware. They, they draw our hearts to reawaken. And I believe that's why there's reoccurring things on the calendar as well. God has set these really cool reoccurring things on the calendar that we would remember, that we would, that we would rekindle, that we would redig that we would look again at, that we would realign our hearts with these things. And so I want to start today talking about wells and, uh, and use the metaphor of wells and, 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 and how the metaphor of wells ties into the redigging of things spiritually. Have you ever had to reawaken something? Yeah? Genesis chapter 26 is really interesting. Uh, because in Genesis chapter 26, we see almost an exact parallel to Genesis chapter 20. Genesis chapter 20 is with Abraham. Genesis chapter 26 is with Isaac. And we find in Genesis chapter 20, Abram, Abraham going down into Gerar, uh, 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 an area there, uh, a valley there. And even establishing a relationship there with Abimelech, the king over the region. And this was a Philistine king. And, and in chapter 26, we see Isaac in a complete parallel. And I think this is a great picture of generation after generation. God leads us to touch on similar things to rekindle similar things, to look at similar things so that there would be an awakening within our own hearts. That many times what's happened with the former generation, if we don't rekindle, reawaken, in this case, if we don't redig, then we lose what was once established. Now, what had happened in Genesis chapter 20 and following is that when Abraham went down into this valley, Gerar Then the Lord made provision for him by digging wells. So in the valley, as his herd would grow and his herds would multiply, then he would dig these wells, and these wells would be provision for him. They'd be life for his herds. They would be provision for his family. They would be a sign and a symbol of increase. And these wells continued until the last well that he dug, the the significant well... 
was called Beersheba. Ber meaning B-E-R, B-E-E-R, Beersheba, or Beersheba, meaning, meaning well. So this was a well, and this is the, the final well that he digs. And then we find in Genesis chapter 26, Isaac going through a similar progression. I want to read Genesis chapter 26 to you, then we'll touch on some of the meanings of some of these wells. Genesis chapter 26, verse 1. Now, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine that occurred in the days of Abraham. So Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, the land of the Philistines. The Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, but stay in the land which I tell you. Which is interesting, by the way. So this is still the promised land. This is a land that was promised to Abraham. God made some room for Abraham. And, and now Isaac is, is in this same or instructed to go into this same land during this famine. So, and we see that the Philistines are in the land. So this is before they're dispossessed out of the land, which happens later. And so there's kind of a shared thing happening here. He's going to share the land with the Philistines. And so the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt, stay in the land. Sojourn in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath which I swore to your father Abraham. I will multiply your descendants as stars of heaven and give your descendants these lands. And by your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac lived in Gerar. And when the men of the place asked about his wife, now this is interesting, not only did he, not only did he traverse, and by the way, this is the place, Gerar was where he was conceived many years before. This is where Abraham and Sarah were also sojourning. So this is where he was conceived. So this is like going back to home somewhat. Not only did, uh, not only... <laughs> This is interesting because remember Abraham lied about Sarah a little bit? Remember that? Because he said, well, she's my sister because he was afraid. Which I, I was reading this and I'm thinking, you know, it's interesting. You can have a covenant with God. You can be one with God, knit with God, completely like solid with God. Like God is talking to you and you still got to overcome some fear. Anybody hear me in the room? So God says to Abraham, sojourn in Gerar, and there's a king down there over the Philistines, and he's a little bit timid, a little bit trepidatious over that situation. So Isaac, some years later now, Isaac goes to this same area, which is it's a lush area on the edge of a desert. He goes to this same area, and he makes the same mistake. That's interesting. But the mistake was born out of fear. Not knowing that, not sure if, if God would establish him, that God would care for him, that God would guard him. And so God's in this, I think part of God's patience over this particular mistake, and a reoccurring one from generation to generation, part of God's patience is because he wants to reiterate the covenant. He wants to show off his goodness. So he comes to Isaac later and says, don't fear. You don't need to fear. And it's interesting that the, you know, the covenant that both Abraham and Isaac have with God is of such that God, that God is proving his closeness to them in the covenant and showing them how much he cares for them and that they don't need to fear. Let's skip forward. Uh, he said, she's my sister, for he was afraid to say she is my wife. Okay. And uh, she was beautiful. Come on, somebody. Uh, and so then one day, though, uh, if you read on down, uh, Abimelech saw uh, him caressing Rebecca. And uh, so then he says, what have you done to us? Uh, one of us could have transgressed your wife. You would have brought guilt upon us. Verse 11. So Abimelech charged all the people, saying, He who touches this man or his wife shall be put to death. Now Isaac sowed in that land, 
and reaped in the same year 100-fold. Now, this speaks of obedience. This just speaks of doing what God shows you to do. Even if, uh, even if it looks like you're in the midst of enemies, even if it looks like this is not the, the right place, even if it, if it looks like maybe uh, this is inconvenient, this speaks to obedience. He goes into this valley. He sojourns here where the Philistines are. And he sows in that land, and he reaps a hundredfold in that same year. And the main man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy, for he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household, so that the Philistines envied him. Now, by the way, wherever you go, this is what God has in mind for you as well, that God wants to prosper you. God wants to bless you as you follow him. He also wants you to take a risk. Isaac sowed in the land. Isaac sowed in the land. He wants you to take a risk, even in the midst of, hey, you know, we're in a world system and there's all sorts of crazy things going on. And if you looked at the news and, and, and everybody's, by the way, trying to sell you gold. What's with that, right? Have you looked at the, the, the commissions they make on that gold sale? They're real excited about that. All right, so, so he's saying invest. He's saying follow me, right? And it says that the Philistines envied him. Verse 15, Now all the wells which his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father, the Philistines had stopped up by filling them with earth. This is symbolic. The wells that Abraham dug are symbolic of life. And within his generation... Within his generation, he had dug these wells as symbolic of life and provision and grace and that which brought richness and increase. And the Philistines had plugged them up. The Philistines, by the way, the Philistines stand for that which is of the flesh, biblically, of the flesh, that which is carnal, that which is an enemy to the Christ, to the church, to the believer. So now we're in the next generation. The Philistines had stopped up all of the wells. And so to get provision opened up, there had to be a digging, a re-digging of the wells. This is what he sets out to do. Then Abimelech says to Isaac, go away from us, you're too powerful for us. And Isaac departed from there and camped in the valley. He goes outside of the city and he settles there in the valley. And then he dug again the wells of water which had been dug in the days of his father Abraham. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the same names that his father had given them. There's something rich about Redigging. There's something rich about reestablishing. There's something rich. You see, your, your right now, many of you in this room even have not touched on, have not dug, have not kindled, have not have not laid hold of what a generation previously to you laid hold of in the Lord. And so God is even through this kind of metaphor. He's showing us that every, gen- every generation, we have to press in. We have to dig. We have to establish. The water is there, but we have to exert effort to get the water to flow. We have to dig the wells, the wells of life, the wells of salvation, the wells of grace, the wells of revival, the wells of renewal. We can read about generations past. We can read about what's happened. We can read about moves of God. We can read about what God has done. And how many of you know we need a move of God right now in our nation? We need another great awakening in our nation. The heroin addiction. The meth addiction, the alcohol addiction. I mean, there are so many problems in our nation right now. The porn addiction. There are so many problems in our nation. We need a move of God. But the move of God comes as we dig afresh, as we dig again. Upon this generation comes the call that we would dig afresh the wells of renewal, the wells of revival. 
And right now we might be even just in a situation we're observing that some of what once was flowing richly in the church, richly in the body of Christ, it's like it's been plugged up. It's like it's been stopped up. It's like the carnal, the fleshly, that which, that which is pertaining to the Philistines has stopped up that which once was flowing richly. And we can hear a generation talk about it, and we can hear and we can, we can read about it in a book. The Trails of Revival, the Welsh Revival, and the outpouring in Azusa Street, and on and on, all of these, we can read about it. But the Holy Spirit wants us to be experiencers. He is passionate that you would dig because the water is just below the surface. He's passionate that you would turn your heart toward this. This valley of Gerar was much like the glacial fill, the glacial valley that we have right here. You know, the water table comes up so high right here around the church during the wintertime that it pushes the liner up on our pond. We have a retention pond over here for the parking lot. The water comes up so high that it starts pushing the retention pond liner up. So that's why here we can't, like, bury retention tanks because your retention tank could just pop up out of the ground in the wintertime because you can dig eight feet and hit water. Almost every home in the city of Fife used to be on their own well. Water right there just for the digging. And that's what the Spirit is saying to you, that there's water right there for the digging. It's not so deep. It's not so deep. I had a buddy growing up, and, and he was maybe one of the first ones to buy real estate. When we were growing up, we all wanted to buy real estate, and we all wanted to get houses and properties. And I got my real estate license when I was 18 and started trying to be a realtor. And I was just, I was just passionate about real estate. Well, you know, a buddy bought, uh, one of my buddies bought, bought land. He bought land outside of Mosier. If you go down the... If you go down the, the I-84 uh, corridor down through the gorge, you go through Hood River, and then in between Hood River and the Dalles, there's this little spot on the freeway called Mosier. We're all wondering what Mosier is there for. Anyway, if you get off the freeway and you go up, and there's a little valley up there inside of Mosier, and there's cherry orchards everywhere. So there's hundreds of acres of cherry orchards up in Mosier. It's really cool, and you kind of climb up there, and it gets real dry. And so a buddy of mine bought five acres up in Mosier. Bad decision. So then he built, you know, this really cool, like, log cabin up there. But here's the problem. Is it 600 feet later, he couldn't find water. There was no water up there. He had to dig. And, and I think sometimes this is the way we get to thinking about God is that we, we, it's just hopeless. It's just hopeless. You know, we prayed five minutes. We didn't hit anything. You know, we, I mean, we, you know, we turned on KCMS for 15 minutes. We didn't feel even a goose bump. I mean, we, you know, we, we downloaded Hillsong worship and we, I mean, we listened to one and a half songs and we didn't even sense the Holy Ghost whatsoever. And then we, we drove all the way to Bethel and we, and we went in there scratching our heads, and we, we listened to the whole worship thing, and then Chris Vallotton got up and speaking, and then Bill Johnson came forward and prophesied, and we only got two goosebumps out of the whole deal. And we're thinking, well, this is too hard. we got to dig too deep. It's 600 feet down, and we're still not hitting anything. But God's saying, no, you're on a glacial fill. I mean, the water's right there. Just get a shovel. The water's right there. It's so easy. Just dig right here. You could, you could hand dig yourself a well of salvation. You can re-dig what a former generation talked about and, re- and, and experienced and what you read about. If the body of Christ would start, if we would start digging fresh a well. Come on, somebody asked me the other day, how come this doesn't happen in church anymore and that doesn't happen in church anymore? This doesn't happen in church anymore. Maybe it's because corporately we're not digging. Oh, we wanted the worship team to dig. We, we wanted them to dig, and we're just really upset that they, you know, I mean, if, since we only got two goosebumps out of, out of their digging, we know they didn't dig very much, and so maybe we should get a new worship team because they, they, 
uh, they didn't dig very well. And so, you know, and then Sister, Sister Prophetess, she was supposed to, she didn't have a word this week. And so and she was supposed to dig more. And how about you digging? How about you getting out your shovel? How about, how about you digging something fresh? How about, how about you re-digging? Because it's right there for the digging. But, but we have to seize ourselves and get our own shovel and, and begin to read and believe that in our generation, there's something fresh. In your generation, there's something fresh. In God for you, there's something fresh. Something fresh for you. So Isaac dug again the wells of water. This is just half the sermon. I'm I'm trying to be careful. Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of his father. And he gave them the same names his father had given him. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of flowing water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with the herdsmen of Isaac, saying, Hey, that water's ours. How did that get to be their water? How did that get to be their water? The water wasn't even flowing. So he named the well Essek because they contended with him. They claim the water was ours. There's, and, and we see here there's kind of a progression of odd things happening. That the first well that he redigs, there's contention, and others claim the water. And the claiming of the, con, uh, of the water moves him away from participating, partaking of, feeding off of that well. Now, this is interesting because this can speak of the contention that can come in the church. Sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we get kind of, there gets to be a little bit of pride going on in the church. And uh, we got this group praying and that group praying and somebody over here digging and that group. And then somebody's fasting and something's going on over here. And then, and then a little bit of water starts coming. And some say, well, that's because uh, that's ours. We, we, we brought that forth. We, we, we brought that forth. That's ours. That's ours. That's our. And so there was contention over the water, and others were claiming it was theirs. And this contention, this quarreling, disallowed Isaac to be refreshed partake of the water. Are you hearing me, church? So, so it's good to dig, but, but we got to watch for these Philistine spirits. And, and I, don't, I don't mean demons that run around with Philistine on their chest. I, I just mean attitudes within the church uh, uh, that are prideful, that are contentious, that are, that are even self-oriented or trying to take credit for what God's doing. We just need to let God do what he wants to do. We need to rejoice over all that God is up to and rejoice over all who are digging. So then it happened again. They moved away from there and they dug another well. It was the redigging of a well of Abraham again. And this one, they quarreled over it as well. Now, I wish I could go into all of the... This one was called Sitna. I wish I could go into all of the, the nuances of the meaning, but that isn't the, the primary message that I have for you today. What I want you to see, though, is that there was contention again. This was a different kind of contention than Essek. It was a different kind of contention. So we moved away from there and dug another well, and this time they didn't quarrel over it, so he named it Rohaboth. For he said, at last the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Now, this is interesting because... I think sometimes we dig a little bit and, and contentious com- contention comes, jealousy comes, strife comes. Uh, this particular, the second well, the well of Sitna, was a well where there, it says that there was accusations that came. The word Sitna means accusations. Who are they to be digging away? Who are they to be spirit? Who do they think they are? Whoa, who, who, who are they walking in the spirit? Who do they, whoa, uh, and it's, it's kind of that whole, you know, they're, and it's the discrediting and it's the negativity. There's always something coming out of this, this realm, this Philistine realm to try to stop up the well, stop up the well, shut down the well. 
they're no good, they're not worthy, they still have sin in their life. I don't know what they think they're doing. And so, and so instead of being detoured, instead of being shut down, instead of, instead of giving in, it's interesting, Isaac moves on. Okay, I'm going I'm to dig another one. You can have that one. You guys just stay right there and fight over that, all right? You guys just stay right, stay right there with your accusations. And he moves on and he digs another one. And this time it says the Lord makes room for him. This time, the Lord delivered him from contention and mockery and fighting and, 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 and backbiting and accusation. Who is this guy, Isaac, anyway? And so he names it Rehoboth, and it says that the Lord made room for him. And then from there... He digs another well, and this is the, the greatest well. This is the redigging of the well where the Lord appeared to Abram, but the Lord now appears to him. And the Lord appears to him and makes an oath of promise to him, and so he digs this final well. It's the redigging of the well of Abram where the Lord appeared to Abraham. Now also the Lord appears to him to make him this oath of promise that you are special. You are set apart. You are, you are of your lineage, Abraham. And this is the well called Beersheba. There the Lord appeared to him. And he says to him, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear I will be with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for the sake of my servant Abraham. And so he built an altar at this well. He builds an altar there and calls upon the name of the Lord. He pitches his tent there, like to dwell there. This is like a massive provisionary well. And there he, he, he sets up camp. Now, it's interesting that it's there. Verse 26, if you're following me, you still with me? Abimelech came to him from Gerar, the city. He comes out into the valley with his advisor and the commander of his army. And Isaac says to them, why have you come to me since you hate me and have sent me away? And they say, we see plainly the Lord has been with you. Now, this is interesting. They don't come. They don't come and admit the Lord is with them. They've got all these guys that are aligned with them, stopping up, hindering, harming, accusing, resisting everything that he's doing until he finally gets into a place where God establishes him, where the oath of the covenant is established fully, and he digs this well, Beersheba, that is this like artesian of blessing. And then they come and they say, we see that God, the Lord, has been with you. So now we're saying, let there be an oath, a covenant between us that you do us no harm, just as we've not touched. All at once, the fear has reversed because he's dug, because he's been faithful, because he's gone forward, because he's not given up. All at once, there's a reversal. He's the one, he's the one. Strong to be envied, and the Philistines are afraid. So they come out in fear to say, let's make a covenant. Can we talk about this? Because we've done nothing. and Remember, we sent you away in peace, but now you are the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast. In the morning they arose and exchanged oath, and he sent them away. Interesting stuff. Wells are a source of life. I want to run over to the season that we're in real quick. We're, this uh, Wednesday is Shavuot. This Wednesday is, uh, we would know it as Pentecost. Those of us that are not Hebrew of roots, we would know it as Pentecost. Next Sunday is Pentecost Sunday. So this is the season that we're in. And so God spells this out in Leviticus chapter 23, and he sets forth these reoccurring commemorations, these reoccurring feasts, these reoccurring festivals, these reoccurring 
like birthdays or anniversaries. These, these are events that are solemn assemblies on God's calendar, and they, they pull us to rekindle, to relook, to remember, to redig things that God did and how He fulfilled these things that we would line our lives up new and afresh with what God did. So Leviticus 23 talks about this, and there's the spring feast. The spring feast were all based on Passover, unleavened bread, first fruits, and Shavuot or Pentecost. And and all of those were based on the timing of of coming out of you know Passover is how God delivered Israel out of Egypt. Remember that? He delivers them out of Egypt with the Passover, that is with the taking of the firstborn. So when Egypt lost their firstborn, finally the Pharaoh says, go, get, you can get out of here now. And so the Passover was their deliverance, and they were spared through the slaying of a lamb. Remember that? So then they had to rush out of they had to rush out of town, and so they're told, don't put leaven in your bread. We don't have time for the bread to rise. Don't put leaven in your bread. And then we're told that leaven is a type of sin. That sin wants to rise within us, and this was not only a type of their rush out of Egypt, but it is also a type of our lives being separated from sin, and it's a type of him, the lamb that was slain for us, him who was separated from sin. There was no leaven in him. And then, and then there's the first fruits. They were to celebrate the first fruits. It was the first little gathering. It's called an omer. Everybody say omer. O-M-E-R. There was, the first, there was the first gathering of the barley harvest. Not a lot of barley eaters in the building, probably. Any barley eaters in the building? What is a barley? Okay, so this is the first, the first gathering of the barley harvest. So, so, so the first fruits was, was symbolic of the first gathering of the barley harvest And Jesus was the first fruits. And so they were to celebrate the first fruits. And, and then 50 days after Passover, the barley harvest would be full. And there would be a great celebration over the spring harvest because the harvest had come in fully. And that was the day of Pentecost. Not only was it the day of Pentecost, but on their calendar, that was the day that God met with Moses on the mountain and gave him the Torah, gave Moses the law. Do you remember that day? How many of you remember that day? Have you read about that in the Word? I don't mean you were there. If you remember because you were there, see us right afterwards. We have prayer at the end of the service. Passover happens. They make an exodus quickly out of Egypt. They have to go fast. They have no leaven in their bread. But it's at the time of the first beginning of barley harvest. And so they recognize the goodness of God in their midst. Fifty days later, they come to Mount Sinai. It's the Jubilee. It's the seven sevens. They come to Mount Sinai, and God meets them there and comes down on the mountain with fire, with violent noise, with a shaking, with His presence, with the Word, with the outpouring of His Word upon Moses. Do you remember why? Do you remember why Moses was a recipient of all of that? 
because on their way out there during the 50-day period, they said to Moses, you be our representative. We're afraid of God. We don't want to get too close to God. You go meet with God for us because his glory scares us. So he goes up, and it's on the 50th day that God meets with Moses and gives him the living word. And he comes down, and it says that the tablets were sapphire, and the finger of God had written on the tablets. And it says that Moses' face shone with the presence of God, so much so that he had to wear a veil. Remember all that? Not that you were there, but you, you've read about it. And this, this is the season that we're in right now. This Wednesday is that commemoration. And Jewish people all across the earth will be setting the day aside. Many of them won't work. Many of them are going to commemorate and recognize the giving of the Torah that God met Moses on the mount. And for us, It's a remembering of the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church. And God wants us to rekindle that outpouring. This is why we have these days of remembrance. He wants us to redig. He wants us to rekindle. He wants us to stir up. He wants us in every generation to tell our children that this is the day that God poured out His Spirit and He's doing it new and He's doing it afresh and you don't have to dig 600 feet and you don't have to leave exhausted. It's just below the surface. You can just simply begin to ask of God. You can look to God. You can turn your heart toward the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will accommodate with an outpouring in your own life. So it's interesting that Jesus Jesus was our Passover. Jesus was the fulfillment of unleavening and unleavened bread. Jesus was the first fruits, the first fruits of the barley harvest. And on the 50th day, on the 50th day, the Holy Spirit was poured out. And the church was launched. The first church, the early church was launched. When the Holy Spirit was poured out upon those that had been waiting. And he came with fire. And he came with a violent noise. And he came with the word of the Holy Spirit dropping down on every heart as he shifted from the physical temple to coming upon every single person and making us his temple, the ones who would receive the outpouring of the grace of God. Need the band to come this morning. Would you stand and just begin to prepare your hearts? I want you to prepare your hearts this week for a digging of that which is fresh in the Lord this week. This week. While Jewish people have actually been, they've been counting the Omer. You know what it is to count the Omer? From the day of Passover until Pentecost, they're counting those 50 days. Every single day, they're counting those 50 days. Every single day, they're counting down to the giving of the Torah. And they are excited about celebrating the giving of the Torah. But for us, for us, I want us to live in the moment this week of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I want us positioning our hearts to redig that which was once poured out, that which was once given. I want us looking forward, not only to Wednesday, but our celebration will be Pentecost Sunday, June 4th. And just saying, yes, Lord, I want more of you. Yes, I want to rekindle the Spirit in my own life. Amen? Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, They were all together in one place, and suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house, the whole room where they were standing or sitting. 
And they saw what seemed or appeared to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues, other languages, as the Holy Spirit enabled them. Verse 16, and this is what Peter stood up and said. This is the fulfillment of what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. Will you be a digger? Will you be a re-digger of the wells of revival? Heads bowed just all across the room. I want to just talk to your heart for a minute. See, it takes effort. It takes effort. It takes attention. God has not placed the wells of renewal, the wells of salvation, the wells of the baptism of the Spirit, the wells of the supernatural grace of God. He hasn't placed it 600 feet deep. He hasn't placed it beyond your ability to acquire, to lay hold of. It's just within reach. He's asking right now in this season that we would remember, that we would rekindle, that we would redig, that we would not let the generation before us taste of something and us no, not taste of it. That we would not let the Philistines stop up the move of God and us fail to redig it. That we would not let envy or contention or accusation keep us from digging provisionary wells of the Spirit. He's asking that you would give attention to digging your own well of spiritual grace, supernatural power in the spirit realm. And this is the time of commemoration. This is the time of remembering. This is the time for you to grab your shovel and begin to dig right here at Pentecost season. Right here at Pentecost season. He set this on the calendar. He set this on the calendar that in every generation we would remember that there's more. There's more. There's more for us. There's more for you. There's more for me if we would give our attention to digging. I'm going to ask the prayer team to come this morning. And I'm going to ask you to just begin to respond wherever you're at. Just begin to respond wherever you're at. With those initial believers, they came pursuing, they came desiring, says they were tarrying. I just feel like the Lord is even saying, just spend some time with me this week in a greater dimension. Those of you that pray in the Spirit. Paul says that we pray, that we stir up mysteries in the Spirit when we pray in the Spirit. Jude says we keep ourselves ignited and rekindled in our faith when we pray in the Spirit. This week, as we approach Pentecost, meaning 50, Let's devote, let's devote time segments to just praying in the Spirit. 15 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day. Say this week, I'm going to just set my face toward Pentecost. I'm going to set my face toward Pentecost. I'm going to be like one of those upper room terriers. Give my heart to be stirred. Give my heart to rekindle. Give my heart to redig something. Maybe it's something you've not even tasted of. It's interesting. Isaac, Isaac was not acquainted with the provision of those wells. They had been stopped up. But yet he knew that his father had tasted of something out of those wells. 
This is going to take an act of faith for many of us because we're, we're, we're being called upon by God to redig something we've never even tasted up. Something that we just know from testimony. Something we know from history, from Scripture, from that it once existed, that it once was there, that, that these wills were once active. You yourself, you've never fully tasted of the water, of the supernatural flow of God out of these wells. It's a deeper place. It's a progression. It's digging of a new well. Maybe the well you've been at, you've let it be harmed by accusation. You've let it be hindered by envy, by pride, by contention. It's time to dig again. It's time to dig again. It's time to dig again. A fresh well, a new well, a Rehoboth well, a Beersheba well, a refreshing well, a well that stirs up not only envy with the Philistines, but it's a well that cannot be silenced, a well that cannot be shut down, a well that cannot be quenched. Lord, that's the kind of well we want to dig. It's the kind of well we want to dig. If you're here this morning and you've not received the the Pentecost experience, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you've not experienced the overflow of the gifts of the Spirit in your life and You don't have the fluency of a prayer language, a spiritual language. Paul says it's a language of men or a language of angels. Then come, come and partake, come and partake, come and partake, come and partake. Come and receive this morning. Come and press in. Come and say, that's the well I want to dig. That's the well I want to dig. We're going to worship and I... I beseech you this morning that as we worship and close our gathering this morning, that you set your hearts to dig deeper, that you set your hearts to dig again, that you set your hearts to be discontent with the measure of the flow in your life right now. That you set your heart to say, Lord, a greater well, a deeper well. Thank you, Lord.